first Bible reading for tonight is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. It can be found on page 1,213 of most of the Pew Bibles. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Uh, The second Bible reading comes from Malachi 3, um, 6 to 12. Um, It's just at the very end of the uh, Old Testament. And can be found on 1002, if you're looking for it. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from destroying your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Um, We're going to look at this passage, so please keep your Bibles open. Um, and also, if you uh, would like an outline, there is an outline on the way in. You should probably have got one. Um, uh, so grab one of those. Uh, also, why don't we just take about 20 seconds to move around, greet each other, and I'll set myself up and get ready, and, and I'll call you back in a moment.
Okay, I might get you uh, to get back to your seats. Uh, there's also a transcript of the whole sermon, so for those of you who need it, um, would find that helpful, that's also out there. Now, I've got a gift for some of you, I don't have enough, but I've got these folders. You know how each week we get one of these outlines? What do you do with it? Some of you write notes. I've got these folders for free, okay, my gift to you, I've got stacks of them up here, so come and grab one at the end of the service. So if you keep your, if you actually use this, write notes, that's a way for you to keep onto that and look back at it. Well, please, again... Keep Malachi open, and we're going to pray and ask God for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you that you speak to us. Help us to receive these words as they really are, the word of God. And we pray, Lord, that as we hear you speak, that we might be challenged and changed by it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I wonder if any of you can spot a good Christian. I wonder if any of you can spot a faithful Christian. So as you look around the room, as you look around the church, if you look and see and notice, can you work out whether that person, he or she, is a good Christian or a faithful Christian? I mean, some of you have seen my wife, Yvonne. You look at her. Can you tell? Is she a good Christian? Is she a faithful one? Or if you look at me, am I a good Christian? Am I a faithful Christian? But what is it that you look at? How do you make that judgment? Well, perhaps if the person smiles at you, continues to smile at you, well, that's a good sign. That person is a welcoming person. Or perhaps if that person comes to church on time. You know, maybe if that person comes to church, not just on time, in fact, before 6 p.m., well, that's a good sign. That person perhaps is a very good Christian. Or perhaps if that person is regular, we see that person here every week, consistent, coming to church. Well, that makes a person perhaps even better. Or perhaps it's a person who gets involved in all sorts of ministries at church. You know, those playing music, those who get up here, those who serve behind the scenes in the kitchen. If someone does that, perhaps that's a good sign to us. That person is a good, faithful Christian. Or perhaps it's a person who gets involved in growth groups. You know, not just meet with the people of God each week on Sunday, just on Sunday, but meet during the week, during one of the nights. Or perhaps, this is perhaps for those of you back, sitting around the back. You know, you're looking forward towards me, but you're seeing during the sermon, these heads nodding. And if that person's nodding, you know, nodding and keeps on nodding, that, that's a person who's listening. That's a good Christian. But if you see the other person nodding off, then perhaps not. So how do you spot a good and faithful Christian? I suspect many of us make these type of judgments. How committed is that person? How faithful is that person? But I want to suggest today that this is not as easy as it seems. It's never as we always perceive it to be. Because if you think about it, it's in fact quite easy to pretend to be a good Christian. Very easy. It's actually quite easy to pretend to be a faithful Christian. You see, I'm going to smile to you all night, and you're going to think I'm a great Christian. I can do that. I can be on church every week on time. And you'll think I'm a great Christian. That's easy to do. I can be involved in all sorts of ministry. I can play the music. I can be involved in the kitchen. And I can make myself look good to you. I can get involved in growth groups. I can make myself look like a good Christian pretty easily. And you know what? You'll be fooled. You can be fooled to think that I'm a good Christian. 
But don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying don't get involved in church ministry. Don't get involved in the life of the church. That is what we want, and that is what I see, and I want to thank God and praise God and thank you guys for that. People get involved in the life of this church. That is what I want to see. But spotting a good and faithful Christian is not as easy as it seems. And that's because, of course, we don't see everything. We can see what you do at church. We can see what you do outside of church. But we don't see into your heart. We don't see into your mind. Those are private things. We can't see that but God. But today in our passage, it speaks of one area of our life, which is in fact private. One area of our life which is private, which no one sees. And that area is the extent of our giving to God. Our generosity towards God. That's in fact private, if you think about it. You see, this area of life no one else sees. You know, when the collection is taken, the, those carrying the bags, they're not trying to weigh. Is it getting heavier? If it gets a lot heavier, perhaps it's not that much. Too many coins. No one's trying to work out how much you're giving, to what extent you're giving, how regularly you're giving. You see, this area of our life is private. But it's this area of our life that this passage today speaks to. This area that is hidden from everyone else's eyes. But you see, this area of our life, our giving to God, is like a litmus test. A litmus test. A test on whether we're in fact as good, as faithful, as obedient, as we appear to be to others. And it's this area of life, if you think about it, that you can't pretend. I can't pretend to be good. I come, I'll come to church. I'll get involved in a different ministry. But this area of life, you can't really pretend. You can't pretend to be generous. You're only generous if you understand the cross, the cross of Christ. And so I want to say this to you. If, if I were to see all that you give to God, not that I want to, not that I ever will or ever try to, if I see what you actually give each week to God, I can make a pretty good judgment on how faithful you are, on how generous you are, on how stingy you are, on how greedy you are, on whether you recognize how God has been so generous to you. I can make that judgment pretty easily if I see all that you give each week. But I don't want to know that. I do not want to know that. You see, your giving, this private area of your life, speaks volumes to where your heart really lies. And that's our passage today. You see, in our passage today, this was an area that was brought to light in, in the people of God during the time of Malachi. They were being stingy towards God. But not only stingy, they were in fact robbing God. These people were robbing God. And so now let's turn to our passage, Malachi chapter 3. Let's have a look. Now this section begins with a plea from God to return to him. Now let's just recall the context here. They were living about 450 years before the coming of Christ. They've just returned from Babylon, from exile. They were allowed to return to their homeland. But when they returned, things were in ruins. They looked around them and they saw injustices everywhere. They were not happy. These people were not having the life they wanted. Things weren't going well. And God knew that. But God wanted them to know now, as bad as things are now, as bad as what you're experiencing now, remember this, God says to them. I do not change. I do not change. That is, those promises I made to Abraham 1,500 years ago, 
those promises where I will bless Abraham in tremendous ways, where he'll become a great nation, where he'll have as many descendants as the stars in the sky, and where he'll be a blessing to everyone around him. You see, those promises, I have not changed. I will remain faithful to those promises. And that's why you're not destroyed yet. That's why you're not destroyed. You see, you think things are bad now, you actually got off very lightly. You haven't really changed since the time of your forefathers. You're still grumbling, you're still worshipping idols, you're still committing adultery and idolatry, and you're still wicked. You break every one of my commandments, God says to them. You should have been destroyed long ago. But God says to them, I do not change. I will remain faithful to my promises, and that's why you're still alive today. And so have a look with me, verses 6 and 7. God says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. But now God pleads with them, come back to me. Come back to me and I will come back to you. Now this word to return, return to God, is the word from which we get the word repent. And that's what repent means. And so God was saying to them, turn back, repent. You've gone down the wrong way, do a 180. Come back to me and I will come back to you. So verse 7, have a look. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Now their response was a bit strange. Rather than recognizing, okay, Lord, I recognize I've gone down the wrong way. I need to turn back. I need to repent. Instead, they question God. They question God. They're thinking, what's there to, to return to? Aren't we already right with God? Aren't we already there with you, Lord? And so the last bit of verse 7, but, they, but you ask, how are we to return? So how are they to return? God is saying to them, you've gone off the wrong track. You need to do a 180, repent, come back. How have they gone off track? What was their fault? Well, now God makes clear to them what they've in fact been, what they've been doing. You see, God says to them, though you might look like you're my people, you're good in that, but you know what you've been doing? You've been robbing me. You've been robbing me. You've been robbing your creator, the one who has given you everything that you own now. You've been robbing me. And they were surprised, these people. But then God says to them, you've been robbing me in your tithes and offerings. You see, that's why you're suffering now. That's why you're experiencing this curse, because you've been robbing me. Now, tithing, this is an Old Testament um, law. In the Old Testament, the people of God were expected to tithe, that is, to give 10% of all their income to God. So from all their farming, all their animals, they were to give 10% to God. Now, this 10% went to the Levites, the tribe who were responsible for looking after the temple, upkeeping the temple. And then 10% of that 10% goes to the priests. And so that was to be given to God. But rather than give what was rightfully God, instead they were holding back. They were giving God the, the, the blemished animals, the blind ones, the lame ones. It's like giving God, what I said last week, giving God instant noodles rather than the roast. They were keeping the good stuff for themselves. And so God says, you are robbing me. So look at verses 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? 
For in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. And so things aren't looking very good for the people of God at all here. Not good at all. They might appear to be good Israelites, good you know, Christians. They smile at each other at the temple. They welcome each other when they come to the temple, and then they slaughter the animal. They, they probably even join a small Jewish Old Testament Bible study group during the week. They perhaps look really good to all those around them. But God sees into their heart, and God's verdict is, you are robbing me. But then God, in his mercy, says, return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you. Now, in the last bit of this passage, God now makes a promise to them. God asks them to test me. Test me now. Just test me to see how generous I will be with you. Now, turn back to me, and you'll be blessed in unimaginable ways. The heavens will be open, rain will pour, and your harvest will be bountiful. You'll be blessed. Come back to me. Just test how generous I will be. And so verses 10 and 11. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then God says to them, well, that's not all, you see. That's not all. When you will be blessed, the nations will see that you are blessed. And so verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So what have we seen so far in this passage? Well, God is making an assessment on them. Last week, they thought they were doing pretty well. They, they thought all these injustices were around them, all these evil, wicked people, God, bring your justice on them. But then God comes and says, you're the problem. In our passage today, they're thinking, what's there to return to? Aren't we already right with God? We're already on God's side. But God comes and says to them, you are robbing me. You are robbing me. You see, you're the problem. But yet despite all this, God in his mercy calls them, return to me and I will return to you. And so that's our passage today, these seven verses. What are we to make of that today? Does it directly apply to us? Well, it does in a sense in relation to our giving as Christians. Now, ministers are often quite uneasy in talking about money. I'm not sure how many sermons you've heard about money. And that's largely because there is this perception of many people that the church is always after your money. That that's what we do. We're after your money. That's why we try to get you here, that we're after all your money. You see, as if... Um, if there's a good week in giving, if there's a good week, a week where there's a lot in the bag, that we have a better life this week as ministers. You know, that this week, if the giving back here is good, then I can take my wife out and the kids. We're going to have seed food this week. We're going to have lobsters and we're going to have uh, oysters. If it's a bad week, if that's pretty light, you know, maybe this week it might mean it's just baked beans and instant noodles every night. You see, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The church is not after your money, and especially Presbyterian ministers. You see, how much you give doesn't affect what I get at all, because what I get, my stipend is set by the denomination. But if there is this perception amongst any of us that the church is after your money, I'm hoping that today, from today onwards to the rest of your life, that that perception will change. 
You see, Christian giving is not simply a physical thing. It's not about the church. Christian giving is, in fact, a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter. It's not about paying bills, paying the electricity, the gas, the water, the building, developments, the stipends. It's not about that at all, really. Fundamentally, Christian giving is a spiritual one because it's about your godliness. It's about your personal godliness. You're not doing business with the church, you see. You're actually doing business with God. It's not between you and the church. It's between you and God. And that's why it's a spiritual thing. It's about your godliness. And that's why even as ministers, those who are paid in, in full-time ministry, I have to be generous myself. I have to be generous with all that God has given me. I have to learn to be generous, and I have to give. Ministers don't just receive. You see, I have to give as well. And so let me ask you the question that was raised today in our passage. Are you robbing God? Surely not I. Surely not I. Look at all I do. I smile at everyone. I get involved in so many ministries. Surely not I. But then look at your giving. And that will show where your heart lies. And so let me ask you again, are you robbing God? Again, this is a private matter between you and God, not between you and the church. No one in the church knows what you give, and no one ever should know or want to know. It's a private matter between you and God. Now, just so you get an idea of how generous our church is, okay? let me first, firstly share with you a story, and then I'll share with you some stats of our church. Now, this is about a man named Phil. He's now a, a minister, an Anglican minister up in Sydney. Now, before he became a minister, after university, he got his job, a graduate job, and was quite well paid. Like all graduate jobs, they're pretty well paid. And so when he started working, he thought, I'm going to have to start giving now. And so each week, he would put 50 bucks in the plate, $50. And he thought to himself, gee, aren't I generous? Aren't I a generous person? And if you think about it, the world looking at a guy giving 50 bucks each week into the plate, they're going to think, well, that guy is a godly person. That guy is a good Christian, a faithful Christian. 50 bucks, man. But then someone, someone had the backbone to challenge him. Someone had the backbone to challenge him and to suggest on a decent income, 50 bucks is not generous at all. On a decent income, 50 bucks a week is not generous at all. Even a Pharisee who were under the law, they gave 10%. A Pharisee under the law, whereas you now as a Christian who have experienced the grace of God in Christ, you've seen how generous God has been to you, 50 bucks a week? You're worse than a Pharisee. You're worse than a Pharisee. And so I'm not sure how bluntly I can put it. If you're on a decent income, 50 bucks a week, that's not generous. That's far from generous. That's worse than a Pharisee. But now I want you to think about some stats I came up with. Last financial year, the total giving in our church, this church was, I'll bring it up on the slide, about 200000 a year. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? You know, that can buy you, I don't know, a quarter of a house around here. That can buy you a nice Mercedes. 200000 sounds a lot. But I did some rough, ca- rough calculation. You know, I put my engineering degree to use. So I used the calculator, and this is what I came up with. 
In our church, there are roughly 180 adults. So I did a count in our church directory, roughly, okay, 180 adults. Now, of course, amongst these adults, many are retired and on pensions. Uh, many are still students, um, but the bulk majority are working. And I'm sure amongst our giving, not everyone gives only to church. Many people give to worthy causes outside of church, and that's a good thing. But for the sake of showing you this, to let you see how generous our church is, 180 adults, what does it work out to be per adult per week? $21.37 per adult per week. $50. That guy thought he was generous. And the guy said to him, $50 on a decent income, not generous at all. Our church, on average, $21. That's only $2 more, a bit over $2 more than an adult movie ticket. A Pharisee would give way more than that. A Pharisee would give way more than that. And so if you look at those numbers, do they shock you? Of course, there are people who give a lot more, and there are those who don't give or those who give very little. But on average, that is the average. The question in our passage today, are you robbing God? Now, just to put this into perspective, 180 adults. Just say every one of them was on a government pension. Okay, a government pension. I'm not talking about the pension that politicians get. I'm talking about the pension that you get from Centrelink. Okay, for argument's sake, if every individual, every adult was just on a pension, uh, on a government pension, that's $553 a fortnight, okay, per adult. That's what you get. A year, that works out to be $14,000, a bit over $14,000. If every adult in our church was on a pension, okay, and gave what a Pharisee gave, 10%. That's what a Pharisee gave, remember? We would end up with more than what we have now. 258,000, almost 259. Of course, many of us are not on pensioners' income. Even as a minister, I'm not on a pensioner's income. If we give 10% as a pensioner, we'll just be like a Pharisee and we'll get more than what we get now. So the question again, are we robbing God? Are we robbing God? Okay, another, another one for you. If each adult, 180 adults, if each adult were to give an extra large Big Mac meal to church each week, okay, that's about 10 bucks. If every adult gives another 10 bucks, a large Big Mac meal, the church will get another $93,000. Just $10. You know what that means? That means another full-time minister plus a full-time paid ministry apprentice. Let's just see what ministers get. But anyway, that's there. So my question, are we robbing God as a church? Are we robbing God? Now, if you think about it, it is robbing God. You can't deny it. 21 bucks. 21 bucks a week per adult, that is robbing God. Because you see, all that we have, all that we own, does not belong to us. It's in fact God's gift to us. We must move away from that idea. Stop thinking that all that we have, we earned, and it's all mine. 
We need to see that they're all a blessing from God. God has, in fact, made us stewards of all that he has blessed us with. And God will hold us accountable to what he has given us. And so when Jesus returns one day and Jesus says and asks you, so how have you been a steward of all that I've given you? What will you say? Well, Lord, I help the poor where I can. You know, those salvos that come, I give them coins. I drop in a few each time. I don't give the notes because it's hard to fold and put into that slot. I give them coins. That works. See, I try to be generous how I can, Lord. Or, or, or I give to church as well. Only when I remember to bring my wallet or my purse. Only when I remember to withdraw cash. I don't use cash much. I use credit cards. But, but Lord, come. You've got to see this, Lord. Come. Look at my bank account. Look at all those zeros. Does that mesmerize you, Lord? Look at all those zeros. And look at my investments, Lord. Look what I say for you. All my investments and all my properties. What will Jesus say? You have robbed me. You have robbed me. Now, remember, this is not the church asking you for money. That is wrong. That is a wrong perception because it's not you and the church. It's about you and God. It's about your godliness. Not about the church getting more money to do stuff. It's about your godliness. And so let me leave you with three principles that Yvonne and myself, we apply to our family. Just three principles. How much? I mean, we're going to have to come up with some amount. Well, the Old Testament system was the system of tithing. That was 10%. That was their obligation. They must do that. And the Pharisees did. But in a sense, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing. The principle for the New Testament is one of generosity. Generosity. Okay, over in the Old Testament, they were under the law. 10% was what they had to give. Those in the New Testament, those like us who have experienced what God has done in his generosity, giving us Jesus that we might have eternal life, you expect us to be more generous. But the principle is generosity in 2 Corinthians, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Pharisees under law gave 10%. For us now under grace... No percentage is given in the New Testament, but you have to decide what looks generous compared to a Pharisee. And so if you want a percentage, well, you want to be more generous. You want your righteousness to surpass that of the Pharisee. So set 10% as the starting point, but only the starting point. Obviously, you need to apply wisdom in this. This is a principle we're, we're, we're applying. I mean, if, if you're a single mother, with kids, raising kids. That's hard. That's difficult. So the principle is generosity, not a percentage. Generosity. Uh, if you're, if you're uh, a student living away from home and you just don't get that much income, well, it's the principle of generosity, not a percentage. But you see, if you're a student who lives at home, 10% is not hard. If you're a couple on two incomes... 10% is not hard. And if you only give 10%, you're as good as a Pharisee. 
as nicely as I can say it, you're as good as a Pharisee. And so in, in this principle of generosity, I want to share this with you. How do we give? We mustn't think, okay, I'm going to give this much and then I won't feel like I'm robbing God. Instead, it should be the other. How generous can I be? So I want you to remember this principle. How can I be generous with all that God has given me for the benefit of others, not for myself? Okay? How can I be generous with all that God has given me for the benefit of others? And to be generous, this is something you have to plan to do. You don't just suddenly become generous. You don't fall into generosity. You have to plan to be generous. And that's why for us as a family, doing direct deposit works for us. It means I don't have to think about it. Being generous without thinking about it. There you go. Or when you go and purchase your first house, the biggest purchase ever in your life, take out a mortgage, well, you have to plan to be generous. You need to think about how much do I set aside and then that's my income and my loan will be based on what's left. I don't try to get the biggest loan ever so that I can't be generous. The principle is about generosity. Okay, next principle, where to give. Well, Christians think, you know, where should I give then? Well, firstly, in the, in the scripture, it's quite clear. We need to give to the poor, those in need. You see, at the moment, the government looks after the poor for us, but it's really up to us Christians to love our neighbors, to do that. And Christians have been doing that for centuries, since the beginning. It was the, it was the Christians who cared for the poor and needy and sick. So that's one principle. We give to them. And so this is not for you to do, but just just our personal sharing, what we do. We support two Christian organizations. That is T Australia, a gospel-based, Christ-centered organization caring for the poor. And we also support Compassion. That's what we do. Not saying that you have to do this, but a principle for Christian giving, support those in need. Next principle in giving, that is gospel ministry. Ministry that is centered on the proclamation of the gospel, that people might be saved, that, that will make a difference for people for all eternity. Gospel ministry. So that means your local church, if this is your church and you're a Christian, well, you need to give. That means missionaries, those who go overseas to proclaim the gospel. That means Christian organizations like the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students, where Pete Sorensen um, works. You know, these ministries, gospel ministries that are centered on the proclamation of the gospel, that is where we are to give. And if you think about it, it's only Christians who will be giving to that. But we give for the sake of the kingdom because these things make a difference for all eternity, not just this life now. Now, historically, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, great Christian men who did great things in the past, they were all supported by some wealthy Christian. Not sure if you knew this, but John Newton, he became an Anglican, he was a slave trader in a sense. He became an Anglican minister. He wrote that great hymn, Amazing Grace, did wonderful things. Uh, he worked to push for the abolition of slavery. He said he was only able to do his work because there was this guy, John Thornton. He was this evangelical Christian merchant who supported John Newton so that he could do his work. Christians give so that Christians can do the work of God. I'm not sure if you know about this guy too, Hudson Taylor. He was the first missionary to China, started the China Inland Mission, which is now OMF. 
he brought in 800 missionaries into China. And as a result of that, 18,000 conversions. But he could only do that, he was only able to do that because of this guy, this benefactor, William Berger. Oh, sorry, that's a typo. It's William Berger. William Berger, he was the benefactor. He had his own company. Okay, try to ignore that. But that's the, the photo is right, the text is wrong. And so Ch- the China Inland Mission, this was one of their newsletters that they produced in China in 1875. And so you see, the offerings to God, the offerings to God made an eternal difference. These Christian men were supported that they might do the work of God. And so just like in our passage, these guys, John Thornton, William Berger, they did not rob God. They did not rob God. They gave God generously. And as a result, they were so blessed. Blessed because they got to be a part of this work that makes a difference for thousands of people. They were blessed. And one day you see thousands of people, just countless number of people, will be thanking these two guys. I mean, they weren't even the face of the mission work. They will be thanking these two guys because they did not rob God. Okay, final principle. Why should I give? Well, we don't give out of guilt, out of obligation, but willingly, joyfully, cheerfully, because God loves a cheerful giver. And we give because of the gospel of grace. God has been so generous to us already. He sent his son to die for you, to die for me, to save you, to save me. Generosity lies at the heart of the Christian message. And so if I give, like that passage in Malachi, I am blessed. Now, blessed not in the sense that if I give God 10 bucks, he's going to give me 100 bucks. Not in that sense to feed my greed. I'm blessed in that I can be, in fact, a part of the work of God. Be honored, privileged to be a part of this work that has eternal significance. And this is what Jesus says in Acts 20. It is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. So in giving, we're not doing God a favor. Remember that. We're not doing God a favor. God is doing us a favor in giving us the opportunity to be generous, to be obedient, to do the work of the gospel. Now, in the end, if you think about all this, it's not just our finances. It's not just the only area that we rob God in. We, in fact, rob God in all areas of our lives, isn't it? It's not just our finances that belongs to God. It's, in fact, our whole life. Our whole life belongs to God. And so the question, are you robbing God? Now, I want to say now a quick word to those of you who are not a Christian or those of you who are just visiting us here for the first time. If you're not a Christian, I want to say this to you. All that I've said in the last 30 minutes or so, forget it all. That does not apply to you doesn't apply to you at all. We don't want your money. don't want anything from you. What we want from you is that you explore Jesus. You find out how generous this God is to you, that he would give up his son for you and give you eternal life. You're not a Christian. We don't want anything from you at all. But we want you to find Jesus, to discover him. But to the rest of you who profess to be a Christian, you can pretend to be a good Christian, can't you? But there is this one hidden area, this private area, that I suspect 
all of us will need to reassess today. Are you robbing God? Well, let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your generosity to us, that in your Son, Jesus, we might be granted eternal life. And so we pray, Lord, that this gospel might be the thing that shapes our life, that we'll be generous, cheerful givers who live knowing that these things will be a blessing to others and that as the giver, we'll be blessed ourselves. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.